What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, it's Monday. Very dreary. Storm just has ravaged Atlanta. Um, I'm looking out in my office at a very rainy dreary monday evening but thankfully i have someone on this podcast who is another first timer who can help um get a get over that monday that monday lull and it's by brian beversluice it's uh, a name that i have to say extremely slowly but it's a cool name i've definitely never heard him with this last name so brian good evening oh and i should probably also mention where you you write for it and all that good stuff like cat scratch reader which i read all the time on sb nation so brian good evening how are you i am great it's not as rainy here so sucks to be you but good 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 all around you know jesus <laughs> i mean it's I, it's been a long day and you're out here just <laughs> right out the it's okay They've, it's been raining like crazy the last few days so it's refreshing <clears throat> Okay. Yeah, it rained like a week. Str- uh, you know what? I'm not that old yet. I'm 28. I'm not going into a two-minute uh, conversation about the weather. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna follow my guy Tom Segura's advice and just stay away from this. Um, do you are you a big Tom Segura or just stand-up guy? Uh, I, I I've heard the name. I can't put the name to a face, but I do like okay. stand-up. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. He has this bit um, in one of his recent specials where he he gets in the car with the taxi guy, and this basically just about him um, getting older and something that you catch yourself doing, where you're like you turn into your dad. Where he was just like he he was in Seattle and he brought up the weather. He's like the weather here, and he's like it rains a lot, right? And the the taxi guy just turns around and like thinks to himself, "You're a real piece of shit for this conversation." You know, <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's great. But anyway, Tom Segura, awesome. But we are not talking about stand up comedy or Tom Segura on this podcast tonight. No, we are talking about the Carolina Panthers, a team in. Uh, the NFC South that um, I don't know if you knew this or not. The NFC South actually good. Um, yes, very good. But this is a team that I think we have a pretty good read on the Falcons. Like if they're healthy, they're going to be good. If the Bucks, um, Bruce Arians gets Jameis Winston into the top 10, top 15 category, they're going to be good. And then the Saints, we just assume are going to be good regardless of who is at center because they have Mike Thomas, Drew Brees, and um, the best offensive tackle uh, combination in football, maybe. So, there is um, a lot of known quantities in the rest of the NFC South, but I don't think any of us have any good read 
especially on the outside, um, you're 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 insulated there with the Carolina stuff that I'm just not privy to. So it, some of this stuff um, might be just old news for you. But I am very fascinated by this team because they were good to start last year. Cam got injured. I I still I mean we're gonna get to Cam because I just my my favorite college quarterback of all time. Um, but Love Cam and also trying to get Luke Keekley to uh, do the the posing, um, <laughs> yeah, with the no shirt posing thing and Keekley just being a weirdo about it. Like all of it, very endearing and great. Like Cam could easily go the Dwight Howard locker room guy route with some of his stuff, but um, thankfully he it, it's not going the Dwight Howard route, which is which is good. Um, as long as his back and everything else and shoulder and all the other stuff stay healthy. But anyway, um, they went out and signed Gerald McCoy, and I think that's where I want to start because that seems like biggest thing to come out of this offseason outside of the injury status of cam but um why gerald mccoy and why now well um the panthers have made it pretty well known that they were transitioning to a multiple defense and now it's starting to look more and more like it's going to be more of a three four than a four three and in order to do that you need defensive linemen um so k1 short has spent most of his career in a four three don terry poe has played both they didn't really have an answer, though, for someone to go opposite of K1 short. And their pass rush in general has kind of struggled to generate pressure on its own. So adding another threat in the interior in Gerald McCoy means they can field three really good defensive linemen at the same time, which will help with the outside. Um, it just made a lot of sense because Ron Rivera's defense is predicated on the front seven, and they did a lot to address that this offseason. But I think the biggest piece they could have added, aside from Brian Burns in the draft is Gerald McCoy because that's a lot of meat in the middle to try and uh, defend. So that'll make it a lot easier on those smaller outside linebackers to get some one-on-ones and get after the passer. So it was a great move. Are you at all concerned because it seems like the biggest fallout of just like, I'm a huge pro football focus guy and just reading through different things and looking at the multiple scheme sets and like what that would do is like the collateral damage is Quan short because you pay Quan short and he's just this awesome, incredibly productive guy on the interior, but now he's going to have to go outside and um, he's not like, he's just one of the, like the best graded interior defensive tackles and now pushing him outside where he hasn't played a lot of snaps and it hasn't been since like college, I think when he got consistent snaps on that area that he's going to be moving to. So are you at all concerned that they're moving a known commodity in short who, you know, when he's in that spot, he's really good. And like you said, the pass rush has fallen off and I do have some other defensive stuff that I want to get to, but, um, I thought it was interesting because basically you are moving somebody like short, who's good, young, and kind of like one of your linchpins on defense outside of Keekley and those other guys, um, for McCoy who had a down year last year. I mean, he had a 66% passing pass rushing grade, one of the lowest in his career, um, in Tampa Bay. And, um, you're banking on hopefully it being like 2017 and 2016 where he was, uh, much better, but I, I don't know. Like, are you at all concerned that they're kind of not screwing over short, but like it is weird to bring in McCoy and then also move short out and then having like we, it seems like everybody likes Brian Burns and he's should be good on the edge, but, um, it's just so hard to read on these pass rushers, like the Vic Beasley's, Bud Dupree's. Like we all like all these pass rushers when they come in, and then some just um, don't work out. But I, I don't know. Like, are you at all concerned about the McCoy short dynamic? No, nah, nope, not at all. Honestly, like, well, okay. <laughs> here's the thing. Like, people look at the three four and they think, okay, nose tackle over the center, defensive ends over the tackles. That's not really how it works, and that's also 
not what Ron Rivera is going to do. Like, it's not going to be your traditional Steelers defense where they're lining up in the three, three four, and you got your big behemoths outside and, you know, like uh, James Harrison and uh, uh, what was the other guy? Um, Lamar Woodley, where they're like the big guys who are going to occupy the tackles on their own. Like, they're going to move guys around a lot. And K1 Short's biggest successes come from like the three technique standard, where it's more of yes. like, He's more over the outs the guard. So in this in this mm-hmm. typical in this type of three four defense, they'll probably load one interior side over with either McCoy or Short, and then allow the other guy to rush on his own and possibly take up a double team on the other end. Um, I'm not as worried about Short because he's not going to be expected to speed rush off the edge on the outside. He's still going to be rushing from the interior, um, probably even getting a few more one on one matchups just because they're going to have speed guys like. Like a Burns, uh, Mario Addison coming off the edge. So I don't think he's going to be sitting there eating double teams all day. I think he's going to get a lot more one on one shots at a guard or even a tackle. And he can win that, especially if it's going towards the inside. Um, I know that Ron Rivera knows how to use use K1 short. And even last year for a down year for the defense, he was still probably the most productive defensive lineman they had. So I'm, I'm not at all worried about the the McCoy and short dynamic. What I'd be more worried about is how the edge rushers are going to fit in. Okay. Um, something else of just like doing some digging on Gerald McCoy. Cause it feels like he's just been um, just because Tampa Bay has just been so bad for so many years that you just <clears throat> don't know how good he's right. been over that course of that right. span and just how great of a career he's had. Um, so as a pass rusher, um, there have been, Few as productive as McCoy. This is a quote from a PFF piece from a, a while ago that I thought was interesting. Um, has been over. Uh, McCoy has been over the course of his career since 2010. McCoy's 339 total pressures are the sixth most among interior defensive linemen in that span, while his 143 knockdowns uh, ring in at fifth. Like he's just been insanely productive for a decade. I just he's been just wasted on these bad bucks. Oh man. And, um, I don't know. It's it's kind of crazy that uh, he was there for so long and just so good for just it. It just kind of sucks that he just has had this great career and never really been able to see the playoffs, have a lot of just fun success, and never got the kind of love and attention that like the Aaron Donalds and the Domkin Sues of the world have gotten during that same time span. Yeah, it's hard to be a, a recognized defensive lineman on a bad defense. I mean, like. There's there's so many examples of players like that. Um, you know, it took a while for Grady Jarrett, for example, to really get the recognition he deserved in Atlanta. It's not like they had a terrible defense, but it wasn't one of the best defenses either. Um, I think it's just a matter of that McCoy is so good, but he was surrounded by so much inept talent. Part of that was bad drafting. Part of that was bad free agency signings. Um, Daquan Bowers is a good example. Like that's a way to make a defense more. I forgot. Yeah, about him. that's a way to make a defense more relevant. And then you go draft a bust there. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's just tough. And he had like Michael Johnson as well, who was really productive with the Bengals. And then he didn't work out either. They, just have, they cycled through everybody and he was like the only one that fit. And yep. Worked. <laughs> and all they really had to show for it for people to play alongside him that were good was Levante David. And that does not make a defense. So. Yeah, I feel bad for him. Hopefully Carolina's defense can really return to form and he can play on a good team this year that he deserves it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um so the defense. This is interesting because the, the the Super Bowl team, I mean Cam obviously MVP and all that kind of stuff, but that team was predicated on just unbelievable defense and a lot of veterans, a lot of 
top end talent like that the defense was just stacked and they were murdering people and um i'm still not sure how the panthers lost the super bowl i still will that'll be one for the, I, I know as a panthers fan you're still probably yeah like, yeah how the hell like if you play that game a hundred times i think the panthers win more than oh yeah i i would i would say 75 honestly yeah right and that's those are the ones that hurt where you're like if we just did this over and over again and just looked at the average like you're just like oh my god uh, like how did how does this happen how does the peyton manning just nine touchdown 17 pick season beat us like i i still just to this day can't can't fathom um that one i want a 30 for 30 on how the panthers lost that game i know you probably won't want i mean i could i could give you the 30 for 30 on it <laughs> okay get, let's go let's just go with this because i still i'll never talk about this in this podcast again yeah so how did the panthers lose to the broncos in the super bowl because i can't I, i'm still that reeling. defense was built to beat that offense and the biggest problem was probably the field, to be honest. Like at one point, Michael Ower was like, you could you could have like photoshopped skates underneath him because he was sliding on the on the field trying to block DeMarcus Ware. And, you know, when you're when your offensive line is not protecting like that was the year where we finally got to see what Cam Newton can do behind a really good offensive line. But their biggest weaknesses were their tackles. And it just so happened that the Broncos had probably the best duo in the modern era. I would say the last 10 years of defensive edge rushers. And they also had, you know, good defensive everything. So there was that Carolina was a momentum based team and had Jericho Cotri catch a ball that was ruled an incompletion that turned into a sack fumble that turned into a touchdown. And that's just deflating. Like that team just steamrolled the entire season because they'd come out swinging and the Broncos found a way to like weather that. And then they broke them down. Jonathan Stewart got hurt. Mike Tolbert fumbled two pat two two balls as well. Like they just shot themselves in the foot at every turn. So they beat them. I would say they beat themselves worse than the Broncos, but at the same time, that field was a big reason why as well because their offense was so predicated on Cam Newton delivering the passes downfield, and when he didn't have time, it just hurt him. So okay, well there you go. Well that mm-hmm. sucks because I I. I come from a very strong Peyton Manning loving family that went to Tennessee and have just been obsessed with his career. And I still just can't get over the fact that he won that year. And they're like, Hey, he had to lead them. I'm like, Peyton Manning did not win the Super Bowl. Let's, let's stop this. Like he gets credit. Like, no. Okay. But anyway, um, the Panthers team defense, which I was going through the numbers of their last couple of years. They went from third to 11th to 19th to 21st last year. So it's been a progressive, little by little slide from elite to just like, we know that defense is hard to repeat year in and year out. Like offense is just an easier uh, thing to do over and over again, which makes sense because if you have an elite quarterback, chances are if he's healthy and his prime, he's going to be elite again the following year. So your offense is still going to be good, but defense is just hard to uh, put together just a, a, a dominant defensive DVOA team year after year. But it's still kind of concerning that with a defensive minded coach, the defense was slipping year over year and obviously there was a GM change in the middle of that, but why, what have you seen over the course of the last four years defensively um, that has just seen this great elite defense um, kind of devolve into one of the league's worst? Well, you made a good point earlier about the 2015 defense or a lot of veterans and that didn't change yes. over the last three years. And that's bad. Um, <clears throat> obviously Josh Norman going was bad, but, I don't think he was worth the paycheck that the Redskins handed him. Um, they fa- they had to rely on a 37-year-old Julius Peppers the last two seasons to generate pass rush. 
They're, one of their safeties, Mike Adams, he's like 36, 37. He used to make jokes about how he was like 60 years old making tackles on the field. Um, they they finally drafted a corner to go opposite James Bradbury that was actually good last year. But before that, it was all just patching it up, patchwork deep secondaries, getting veterans in there to, to try and you know put a Band-Aid on major needs like defensive ends. Um, you know, last season was where it really fell off the rails because they couldn't, because Julius Peppers couldn't be asked to rush the passer as often. Thomas Davis was getting up there. Uh, the defense was all, also another thing that I wanted to mention on top of the veterans, you know, getting old, but they had, first they had Sean McDermott as their defensive coordinator. Then it switched to Steve Wilkes. Then it switched to Eric Washington last season. These were all, Sean McDermott was their defensive coordinator. Steve Wilkes was their secondary coach, jumped to D.C. Then Eric Washington jumped to D.C. from the defensive line coach. And all that promotion up like up the chain, rather than bringing in a veteran defensive coordinator, Ron was leaving the defense to these guys. And Steve Wilkes made a good defense. Sean McDermott made a good defense. Eric Washington's was not a good defense. until like Ron Rivera took over play calls towards the end of the season and took over the defense, and the defense showed tremendously better like for example against the saints they only allowed the saints to score like like i don't know 12 13 points or something like that the last the first time they met i should say um you know it's just tough to replicate that production with all of that turnover in the not only in the in the trenches themselves but with the the coaches so this year eric washington is still the defensive coordinator but ron rivera will handle defensive play calls and defensive game planning while Norv Turner will handle the offense. So I think they didn't do the Falcons thing where they actually ended up firing Marquand Manuel and um, removing him, which I, you could have just kept him in name only, like just called, like you said with Washington. Cause I just think he was still really good for a lot of those secondary guys and their development and everything else. I'm interested to see how that works, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. De- Eric Washington's a very, very good defensive line coach. He is not a good defensive coordinator. So I think taking a lot of that away and maybe having him more so help with the game plan and the pre-planning will help. But I think Ron Rivera, as a as a very experienced defensive coordinator, is just a better fit. And on top of that, he has he has familiarity with the three four defense. He ran a very effective one in San Diego. So this is the this he is the guy to to have for this defense of all the people they have on that coaching staff right now. So I expect a bounce back. Okay, and Perry Fuel also yes on this, uh, another XDC like you have. Guys, and also I just learned that Jericho Cotri is the assistant wide receivers coach yep. for this team. And Everett Brown, assistant linebacker, okay. And then uh, Ron Rivera's son, Vincent Rivera. I'm assuming that's his son. I don't know. Might be. I, uh, I don't. I, I want to say it's not, but I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I just assume with Scott. Wait, is Scott Turner? Scott not? Turner is North Turner. Oh, yeah, Scott is. Turner yeah, is, is the is uh, North Turner's son. I do know that. <laughs> so interesting but okay. Maybe the funny not. thing was last year like you saw you saw perry fuel um they also had i think it was brady hoke who took over for eric washington as the defensive line coach these were guys like plucked straight out of college where this year they went it's his nephew his nephew way. okay Sorry. that's why i haven't heard more about it um so they plucked these guys out of the college ranks to be nfl court nfl present positional coaches where this year they went in and got perry fuel for the secondary so they have a lot more like actual veteran coaching minds putting their heads together in the defense this year. Is there any part of you, and this kind of goes back to the Bucks and Falcons thing. It just seems like all these different NFC South teams recycle certain guys, but <laughs> yeah, they, um, they really do. 
it's it's wild. Um, I I something that I've been thinking about when just researching the Panthers and just thinking more about them this offseason is that like the Falcons went through this in the mid two thousands. The Mike's oh man, and then yep. The Bucks hired him, and he's just been a train wreck DC. But he was people forget he was a good DC at one point in time and he was a good dc in jacksonville that's the reason he got the head coaching job like mike smith it's not like he was always just this dumpster fire defensive coordinator and defensive mind but those defenses fell off a cliff and it just seemed like the league eventually passed him by yes and he was someone he was coaching for a long time he was a good coach he won a lot of games he's one of the best falcons head coaches of all time but he lost that kind of defensive uh, I, I don't know like i it just seemed like the league passed him by like we don't know enough the ins and outs like i'm just not um enough of an expert to be able to really pinpoint what happened I, for mike smith to go oh I, do you, you have i, I do have somewhat of the answer because i i happen to be okay. pretty close with uh, a lot of the guys on the falcoholics uh website okay. and uh it seems kind of like he just his his uh bend but don't break kind of stuff was what did him in because the nfl's passing the nfl's offensive mind has just moved on from that. So I think you're right that the league kind of passed him by, but it just seems like he was kind of stuck in his old ways. Um, they pretty much telegraphed that he was going to be a shitty defensive coordinator for the Bucks, and they were not wrong. <laughs> so yeah, it just seems like, well, also Rivera is doing the opposite, right? Like he's adjusting, like he's making changes uh... because that defense, well, I mean like going to multiple fronts and just trying to like, he's clearly trying to do something else. That's what I'm wondering. It's like, is he the new Mike Smith where he was a great DC for a long time. He's obviously a good head coach. He won a lot of games, but like it's are the days of him putting a top 10 defensive DVOA defense behind him. Are, is that possible? It, it is possible. Ron Rivera seems to be kind of stuck in his ways sometimes, but he has been a little more self-aware this off season. I think part of it has to do with that. Their, their head, their, uh, excuse me, their owner, David Tepper is more on the analytics side of things now. And I think he's kind of putting the pressure on Ron Rivera to modernize things. Um, but according to Ron, a lot of the stuff that they're going to be implementing were things he tried last year when they weren't sure what to do with the defense. He was like, okay, this works. Like, let's try more of this. So I think he's doing his best to, dif- to diversify his approach. But in the end, I, st- I am still weary that we're going to see a heavy, a heavy zone defense where he's got the, one of the fastest corners in the league, Dante Jackson playing off zone coverage all the time. Um, like Perry Fuel mentioned, they're they're going to play more man. They're going to play more press, which seems like a great idea with James Bradbury and Dante Jackson. But I'll believe it when I see it because it's Ron Rivera. So, do you think he's long for this job, no matter what happens this season? Do you think Tepper and him have the kind of relationship that's going to work? Because there's I, there's a Marty Herney element as well, like him just coming back into the fold, and he's like the Chris Wallace of the NFL. And Chris Wallace, if you're not an NBA fan. Um, grizzlies gm forever and he finally got let go but he came in and out and he just had cycled in and out and no one actually thought he was a good gm but he just finds ways to stay around because just he was in the right team at the right time um but i i don't know there's a lot of uncertainty i think or maybe there isn't like do you think tepper wants to keep herney and rivera in power for as long as they're successful or what is that trio like i i actually I, I, I used to think that Herney and Rivera were linked at the hip and basically whatever happened this year was either going to be, was going to like, if they didn't make the playoffs this year, that they'd both be gone no matter what. But I think the way that Marty Herney works at the off season, if like Brian Burns and Greg Little don't turn out to be like colossal busts, um, 
I think Herney may have saved his job because he did a he had a, made a wonderful offseason. He didn't make a single move that I felt was overpaid. Um, some people questioned him trading up to go get Greg Little, but if it works out, who really cares about that extra third round pick that they gave up? Um, where Ron Rivera, I mean, I think this is the year. Like this is the prove it year for him. He's got to make the playoffs, otherwise, I think Tepper will move on from him because there there's no. He did fine in 2017, but last year was it's as I know that there's the reasons with Cam Newton, but come on, you don't, you don't go from six and one to, you know, or six and two or whatever record they had down to winning only one game at the end of the year. It's, you just don't do that. That's, that's, it's inexcusable really for a coach as, as veteran as him. So if they regress at all, or even place the same or go 500, yeah, I think he's getting the boot. Interesting. Um, so let's talk about Cam. We have to talk mm-hmm. about Cam. I I love Cam. I think he like there's still weird stuff like about Cam and how certain people perceive him, and he just I mean there's a whole thing uh, like Bomani Jones has talked about this a lot about how certain Carolina fans are always looking for a way out of Cam Newton. Um, I still remember the draft profile uh, that was written um, about him coming out of the draft, and it was really bad and gross. And I forgot who wrote it. It was one of the draft guys. Do you remember? I think that? it like, was the Nolan Naraki. Yes, mm-hmm. where it was like he's fake, he's this and that and the other, like just ridiculous. Yep. And um, <clears throat> really not into any of it. But um, he's, I mean, he's starting to get banged up, and I still like you were. I'm paying closer attention to that team at that point in time where like I, everything I've read and just watching him throw and just seeing how the end of last season unfolded for them. I, in 2018, I I just, I couldn't fathom how Cam Newton was allowed to play when he was openly just like, I can't throw the ball downfield because my arm might fall off. Like I, he was clear in that, like, I can't do this. I can't push the ball downfield. And like you said, that's one of his best strengths. And if he's saying, I can't get the ball downfield, and Cam's like one of the toughest guys in the sport, if he's telling you, I can't do this, why was he out there? Like, I couldn't imagine Andrew Luck being in a situation like that. I couldn't imagine Brady or any of these guys where it's like, in this is not a just put some grease on it, 1975 situation. Like, I just, I couldn't believe in the modern NFL that cam was still out there week after week taking these shots when he clearly just wasn't right to an unreal extent. Well, that's, that's one thing that I, that I did not like about Ron Rivera's approach last season. I, I know what it was. It was that they had a chance to make the playoffs. And if they have a chance to make the playoffs, you're going to keep your starting quarterback in, but cam's not the, it's not cam's decision to not play. That's the thing is like, if you give the player to the decision, the decision on whether they should play or not, they're they're going to play. It's Ron Rivera's responsibility to say, you know what, we got to take him out, and that was the whole that was the whole problem is that they didn't have a viable backup quarterback for the longest time. They had Derek Anderson, who worked out fine when they needed him. Uh, last season, they didn't have it, and like the entire offseason last year, and even up to this offseason, I was like, they need a backup quarterback. Like Cam Newton is not Cam Newton is a tough guy, but there are those times, like in 2016, or I. Uh, yeah, no, it's 2014 where he like missed a, he missed a couple times because of injuries that were lagging for like a week. You know, you got to have somebody who can step in and play. And they had Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen, and then they signed Garrett Gilbert. It's like you can't do that if you expect your team to be even remotely competitive 
when your quarterback is down. So yeah, that was bullshit. I'm going to be honest with you, but I'm glad we're on the same page. Do all Panthers fans feel the same way where they're like, we may have just killed our franchise quarterback. What the hell was that? They didn't even make the playoffs. It wasn't even worth it. Um, a lot of us were just like, well, see, here's the problem. A lot of Panthers fans are quick to be like, well, the next guy up they've been talking about, they've been hearing about the guy all off season, how he was throwing great in practice. So they want to see this guy, what he's got. And in reality, none of them are really worth a damn. Like Kyle Allen had a nice showing against the Saints second string defense, but Taylor Heineke wasn't good. Kyle Allen wasn't good when he played starter. Heineke was awful. Yeah. I watched that whole game. I forgot which game it was in because he was in and then Allen yep. was in. Was it at? Was that the same game that they took? Cam no, uh, Heineke, Heineke started start? that game. <clears throat> that was God. I watched that whole game. Oh my God, Heineke was awful. Yeah. We're like to me. I'm like I get it, but you shouldn't have put yourself in this position. Which is why I was happy right. they drafted Will Greer this year. I was mad that they gave up a third round pick before that, but I thought it was a good pick because at least now. You know, maybe you have somebody who can back up Cam Newton, but like the it sucks because like you you don't get these situations often. But the Eagles were a perfect perfect like case study as to why a backup quarterback matters. Like or the Colts yeah. who also have a, a quarterback with a shoulder problem. That's why they're not trading Jacoby Brissett. Where they're like, we know we have a pretty quality backup who, if things go wrong with Luck's shoulder, we <clears throat> are going to be okay. Yeah. It will be harder for us to win a title, but we can survive. Yeah, exactly. So. Yep, most Panthers fans did not like that Cam Newton was still playing because you he clearly couldn't throw and he was taking hits and everything. But he said yep. it like he just openly was like, "I can't throw the ball downfield." I just I couldn't believe that he's just openly like, "Dude, I I, I just physically can't do it." It's not like I don't want to or <clears throat> a little bit, but like he's like, "I don't think I can physically." Exactly. Do yeah, I, I don't um, remember him saying that during the year last year, but I know it came out recently that he said that at some point. So. Yeah, I don't know, but I, yeah, you're right. Like, if he said that to the coaches, they should have immediately made the made the yank. But they had to have seen yeah. it. Like, there's no way at practice during the week when they're testing stuff, they're like, "Oh, Cam's doing a lot of five-year." Well, he also didn't. He also practice. didn't practice most of the year last year, which is another telling sign. So, when you got to rest his shoulder up week to week, like, <laughs> but that none of this is good. None of this shines brightly on, or none of this is a glowing um, report from Ron Rivera in 2018. This is like a thank you for not coaching. Yeah, in a lot of thankfully, ways. thankfully, um, I will say that Cam got his shoulder surgery a lot earlier this year, so he should be okay. Well, wasn't there like question marks as to what kind of treatment he was going to get? Weren't there like two options for him and he picked one? Am I no, or did he have choices? Uh, I think last year he may have had choices. This year they just went in and they did um, an arth- arthroscopic surgery, um, and it uh-huh. was mainly a, just a cleanup thing. Uh, he's been going coming along a lot faster than he thought he would from what I've been hearing, so... Yeah, and he's back to throwing full strength right now, um, or he was during the last bit of OTAs and mini camps. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be right, like right on, right on uh, stride for being ready for the opening for the opener and not having any leftover shoulder issues. So it's a little different this year, but last year they kind of just got the surgery real, real late in the off season, and then obviously didn't heal up all the way. So. Why did the team still succeed early on with him healthy? Because that's the easily forgotten part of the Panthers 2018 is that they were going to be a playoff team if, I, if he didn't get hurt. I think the Panthers would have made the playoffs and they were off to a really good start. Like what was working about them um, before Cam really started falling? Off? Well, they let uh, Norv Turner let Cam pass the ball a little more. Um, mm-hmm. They 
So the first game of the season was one was the one where it was really telling, where teams were still afraid of Cam Newton throwing the ball down the field. I'm not sure where the deterioration really started, but I know that it definitely like took a major dive after the Steelers game. But before that, he was able to throw underneath a lot. Like Christian McCaffrey was catching passes all sorts of ways under under the you know under the linebackers' shorter passes. Um, they gave him a lot more weapons where he can actually dump it off to those guys and let them make plays where in the past he didn't have those kind of guys like Devin Funches was mostly a uh, catch the ball, get tackled if he caught it at all type guy. Same with Kelvin Benjamin. Um, Ted Ginn was really good, but he was like the only guy who could do that kind of stuff where now Curtis Samuel, Jarius Wright, Torrey Smith, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, they had so much more speed this season. So they were able to, they were able to implement a little of a, a little bit of the power rushing style that they like but they gave Cam Newton more options to allow other people to make plays, which has been the biggest problem throughout his career is he's always, aside from like 2015, maybe he was always like the guy where he had to play well and make tons of plays for them to win where beginning of 2018 and going into 2019, he's got more guys that he can rely on to make plays. That's the Gettleman special where it's like he didn't invest anything, cuts a lot of it, and then he builds around defense, 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 and then like Cam just had to do a lot by himself. And um, it's a little bit different now, I would yes. say, with Norv. But speaking of Norv um, and just the, the the offensive line situation in Carolina, um, how does Norv protect him more? How does this? How do they scheme it up where he can still go downfield and he can still pass more, but he also gets time so he can – uh, you know, make it through 16 games. Well, it starts when your offensive line is healthy. Um, the, there are no Khalils. Is there still a Khalil on this offensive no, line? No, Matt Khalil was okay, cut. Okay, that's a great Yeah, start. Matt Khalil was post-June 1st designation cut. They used that money that they got from him at on June 2nd to sign Gerald McCoy. Uh, Ryan Khalil retired, and he was definitely going downhill fast as a center. So they replaced him with probably... with. Pretty much the consensus best center in free agency, Matt Paradis, who was highly graded as the Broncos center. Um, they somehow managed to re-sign Daryl Williams to a one-year contract after he didn't get what he wanted in the open market. So they have all that. They went and drafted Greg Little in the second round. Like Marty Herney, the biggest thing that I can give this guy for this offseason is that he went hard on the offensive line. Um, so now they have... Greg Little could be a day one starter at left tackle. He was graded as one of the top two pass blocking offensive tackles in this draft. Um, they also have Taylor Moten, who, who is an, definitely an all pro level right tackle who can play left tackle if needed. Um, they have Daryl Williams who can back up the right tackle positions. They, they have a backup plan at both positions right now. Um, on top of that, Daryl Williams could end up sliding into left guard, but if he doesn't, Greg Van Roten was the only offensive lineman last year who played like every snap. Um, center, Pat, Matt Paradis, obviously Trey Turner, all pro right tackle or right guard, I should say. Um, the trenches are a lot more loaded than they've ever been for Cam Newton this year. So it may not be a, as much about Norv Turner scheming as much as just like having solid talent for once around Cam Newton. Do you bank on that working out, though? Is that what you're betting on? Does Turner put it all together? Does do, does this offensive line work? Like, where do you see things ultimately unfolding for this group? How many games do we see Will Greer in? <laughs> I, I honestly don't think you'll see Will Greer play at all, to be honest. Um, okay. Well, yeah, good. or I mean, I should say he might come in here and there, but I don't think he's going to be a starter at all during the season. I, 
they they have a plan for the offensive line. The biggest question mark right now is left tackle, but I think that you've got the boxes checked checked off on every single other position, and that's not hard to scheme around. Every offensive line has a weakness somewhere or two or three that you can scheme around where this offensive line is very strong all around. So I'm not as worried about the offensive line. I think they're going to be able to protect Cam Newton and allow Norv to really implement what schemes he wants. It's also going to help that they're going to have a better group to block with on the front, on the front set or the front five, the left guard center, right guard, right tackle are all great run blockers. So that's going to help protect Cam Newton as well, because he's going to have most likely a solid running game. So so what has to happen to put them back in the playoffs? Is there anything um, like when you're because the NFC South just changes everything. It's, you're not the AFC South. Like it's just it's brutal getting through these four teams. And I think the Bucks are going to be better. I think the Falcons are going to be better. And I think the Saints might be slightly worse, but they're still going to be good. Like I, it's just a really tough thing for two teams to make it out of the NFC South and into the playoffs. It seems like they're going to get at least two, but um I don't know. Like, how are you feeling about the rest of the NFC South? If you had to do a pre-training um, camp power rankings of the NFC South, how would you do it? Well, uh, hmm. so I have a hard time not doing this, but I feel like the Falcons are actually my team that would be the top team right now because of what they did to the offensive line. They went pretty heavy on the interior to help protect Matt Ryan. And that's mm-hmm. going to pay dividends. Maybe. It, it should. Know. I'm not but... sure about Lindstrom and guys. I don't know. They're rookies. It's asking a lot in a win now year. But they, they are game. interior linemen, though. That's not as hard to start at as a rookie. Well, one's a tackle. But did... Is, am I missing Well, I think that I thought both of them could play inside, though. Yeah. Yes, they might have to anyway, because they signed also Carpenter and Brown, two other gigantic offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they definitely invested on that front. So, yeah. And, uh, and on top of that, like everybody on the defense was hurt last year too. So that didn't help either. Um, I, the, the saints just, I think Drew Brees is going to start. I think we just, we saw Drew Brees start to decline last year. He wasn't the reason why they were winning a lot of their games towards the end of the year. So I think maybe Drew Brees isn't as great as he once was this year. I don't know if he'll be bad, but I don't think we're going to, I don't know if I can expect him to be, that easy four to 5,000 yard passer anymore. So yeah, McGarry's a right tackle. Okay. I I just remembered. I just remembered that they also said when he was drafted that he could play inside as well, but who knows? All I know is that they, they made a heavy investment in the offensive line. I think it will pay off for them. That's true. Um, But yeah, the saints without Max Unger either, like that there is a rookie they drafted, but Max Unger was, you know, one of the best in the league at that. I think their defense wasn't that great last year, or it, it may not be this year. Um, I think the saints, I still think it's going to be close in the top in the top, of the NFC South, regardless of what my power rankings are. I can comfortably put Carolina at number three, but I could still see them going 10 to 11 wins without a problem. Um, the main thing for me looking at them, as far as getting over the hump is this defense needs to get back to form. Cause I think the offense will deliver because they were last year until Cam Newton got hurt. Um, they added, you know, they added offensive linemen. They've, invested in they've got a solid group of receivers that they built around right now they added brandon hogan and they added uh or chris hogan they added chris hogan and they added aldrick robinson the offseason so they've got a really nice group of receivers as far as like just it's not it's not like you have an odell in there but dj moore and curtis samuel i think are going to be a great duo very fast great 
great weapons with the ball in their hands. Um, if Greg Olson can return to being healthy and play all 16 games, that's a huge plus as well. Um, and Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey. I mean, this offense could light up an, a defense, any given defense, just with the right game plan, just because of how much talent they've got Cam surrounded with as far as like just freak athletes. So that that's my thing, though. I think the defense has really got to return to form, and that pass rush is better return because that's going to be a problem if it doesn't. Mine, I have to go... I still, until the Saints fall off, I just, I until it happens, I, I'm going to keep picking the Saints. And also Michael Thomas is just a, a freak of nature. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in Ramsick and uh, Armstead and Alvin Kamara and that group. So I, until they fall off a cliff, I, I just, I can't go there yet. Um, I then go Bucks too. And it's one of those things where I'm going to definitely regret this six months from now. But I've talked myself into Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles resurrecting that group and um love the the Devin white pick i love what they're doing in the defensive side now and i love the idea of Jameis. i mean i don't like Jameis the person but um Jameis as a sleeper mvp like breakout year where it's like he's clearly not the best quarterback in football and the most valuable but like puts up insane numbers with howard and um mike evans and the rest of those dudes like i i, I can see the path to a breakout surprising Bruce Arians bump year for them. Um, a lot of it too is just, I I'm still not convinced about Cam cell. I, I just, I want to see 16 games. I want to see what happens. I'm rooting for it, but he, it just scares me. The shoulder stuff. I, until I see a full season again, like that first hit he takes, I'm just going to like have to close my eyes and I'm sure all Panthers fans are, yes. they're just basically on shoulder watch. Um, and I think Colts fans are the same way with Andrew Luck, where it's just every shot. You're like, Oh God, is this it? Is, is our season over? Um, which is uh, terrifying. Yeah, that was how we were all off, all of last year. So, Right. And then the Falcons. I just, I don't know. I, I don't, the injuries will not be as bad as they were last year and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just, it's tough. I, I, I could see it going so many different ways because the NFC South, all four teams can win the division. And you can't say the same for most divisions in this league right now. That like all four teams have a realistic shot of being a contender in the in their conference and also just winning their division like it's just it's incredibly competitive and it's going to be difficult to win so i i think it's gonna be fun to watch um but like maybe this is my last thing in the panthers we can wrap up here but like they're secondary how are they going to are they going to be able to survive against mike evans michael thomas julio jones calvin ridley muhammad sanu um alvin kamara like you just go up and down the list of just the the skill talent on the outside in this division. Um, like you said, Rivera is a front seven guy, but do they have enough back end talent now? They drafted a second rounder last year. They have invested more um, in the last couple of years, but do they have enough on that back end to survive against these high powered pass first offenses? Uh, I've actually been higher on the secondary than I've been in a long time. Um, yeah, good. James Bradbury has pretty consistently shut down Mike Evans every time he's faced off with him. Um, obviously, Julio is known for a 300-yard game against the Panthers secondary not too long ago, but this is not the same group. Um, James Bradbury didn't even play that game. Uh, Dante Jackson had four picks last year as a rookie starting. He got thrown out on an island. Um, you know, they, have, they obviously have Eric Reed. They haven't had a high-level safety talent in a long time. Um, the big question mark for me is Rashawn Golden, but this Panthers team, specifically with Ron Rivera, 
you know, being the defensive minded coach that he is, he's done a lot better with a lot worse at second at safety. Um, a third round pick from last year was Rashawn Golden. So it's like they have faith in the guy. And even if they don't, they can probably sign a guy off the streets who would be just as good if he's not if he's not good enough. Um, <clears throat> guys like <clears throat> Alvin Kamara doesn't worry me as much because I think that just in general, the fact that this front seven has improved is going to make it easier for them to get after Alvin Kamara and whatnot. Um, the Saints did a really good job in the past of like scheming in a way where it made Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis play absolutely perfect because it nullified the defensive linemen that usually make their jobs easier. Um, where now Carolina has three big defensive linemen that you have to scheme around. And they're probably going to be on the field at the same time a lot. So <clears throat> I think that I think one of the big things for them and that's going to help this defense turn around is just the fact that these offenses have known Ron Rivera's 4-3 defense for how many years now? And all of a sudden he's throwing something completely new at them with completely new personnel. They got a bunch of speed rushers now. They got a lot of a lot of meat up front. Their secondary is actually I would say at worst average, but I would say they're probably they're they're better than people give them credit for. Um, I'm not as worried about these wide receivers. I mean, they've been playing them up for how many years now? And aside from Julio, nobody's really eaten them up that much. I mean, Mike Thomas has done a good job against them when Eric Washington was the defensive coordinator. But <clears throat> if they do decide to play more man, that will help against a guy like Mike Tom, like uh, Mike Thomas. So, yeah. All right. Well, last thing, and then we'll we'll go. Um, give me your breakout offensive guy to watch for the Panthers this year. Who is it? Is it Curtis? Yeah, Samuel, it's, Christian McCaffrey. It's absolutely Curtis Samuel, one hundred percent. Last year, he had pretty much kind of broken out already in the beginning of the year. I think he was averaging a touchdown every four times he touched the ball at one point. Um, the kid just hasn't stayed healthy, and it's not been really been his fault. I mean, like he came in as a rookie, he he was nursing a hamstring injury, and then when he finally got healthy, he broke his arm. And then last year he had a he had a heart murmur or something, a very minor heart surgery he had to get right before the season. And then they started using him until Cam Newton's shoulder fell off. Um, I think he's graded out very comparably to a guy like Stefan Diggs. If you if you follow Matt Harmon and his reception perception, um, he's definitely the best route runner on the team at wide receiver right now. Obviously, one of the fastest players in the NFL, former running back. The fact that he's developed into like a solid wide receiver is remarkable. Um, yeah, he's my guy. I mean, everybody in fantasy is looking at DJ Moore. Uh, Curtis Samuel might be more productive than him from a scoring standpoint. Interesting. All right. Well, give me a, give me a record and then we'll, we'll be done here. Give me, what did, what did the Panthers go in 2019? I think 10 and six is a fair assessment. It'll be a step forward, but it won't be too far. Um, That's probably enough to make the playoffs and keep all their jobs. Maybe it depends on how the rest of the NFC South goes. Um, well, if they go 10 and six, then I think somebody's season got derailed by injuries. Like, that's the thing is like one of these teams are going to have a bad year because they're just going to get hit with the injury. Right. Like one of these teams is going down. Like, I, I don't know who it is. Like if Drew Brees goes down, we get like 10 games of Bridgewater. Like, I think one of these four teams will be ravaged by injuries. We just don't know. Yeah, it happens every year, too. So, yep. Yep. It's just hard to predict. There's no point in predicting it because like we just don't know how that's going to work. But um, yeah. It's going to be fun. NFC South is a bloodbath, as always. But um, is there anything we need to check out on Cat Scratch Reader this week from you or anybody else? Uh, it's the off season, so we're all kind of just throwing stuff together as we go. Um, I'll be starting to break down positions here soon. But we actually do our own podcast called the Keep Sounding Podcast. I am the host, so feel free to check us out if you're a Panthers fan. 
Um, and obviously follow us on Twitter. I'm, I'm the social media czar for the Cat Scratch Raider handle. So you'll see me bantering back and forth with the, the Falcoholic and other, and other NFL blogs here and there. So, yeah, come check us out. Have a good time. You know, that's what we're here for, to enjoy this horrible, horrible offseason. So. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah, we're entering the worst part of the year for sports yes. fans. Uh, we're, it's rapidly closing in on us. But, Brian, this was a lot of fun. I really do appreciate you making the time tonight, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, Thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. The Aaron's AA team makes getting the name brand furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. We're talking top brands like HP, Samsung, GE, Beautyrest, and so many more. Take them home today, then make low monthly payments until they're yours for good. Aaron's great rent-to-own deals even come with easy approvals and free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent-to-own power of the AA team.